This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, I'm not sure what you're doing to keep your kids uh, busy this summer, uh, but uh, part of our uh, busy program is, of course, you got to keep those brains uh, trained and stimulated. So uh, our older boy, Jaden, is uh, working on memorizing the presidents of the United States, and he's working on work, uh, memorizing them both front and back. So if you're not impressed already, like... It's, it's been amazing, but part of, obviously, memory work is me holding him accountable and working through it with him, and, and like, I'm thinking about memory, and, you know, I'm getting old. I'm creeping up on 40, and I know those of you that are, that are ahead of me in that game, you know how the memory, it starts getting rusty, but, but, like, we're working through the presidents, and we get to presidents I didn't even know we had. So, like, like Fillmore. Did, I didn't even know Fillmore was a president. I'm not sure if I ever once knew that and just forgot it. But nonetheless, we're kind of working through this memory project. And, 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 and I get to thinking about how our memories work. And, and of course, I'm, I'm making connections spiritually all the time. And, and I, and I th- begin thinking about God's memory. Uh, the Bible over and over talks about God's memory, that he remembers, he remembers. Now, theologically, of course, we, we know that God is omniscient. That is, he is all-knowing. He's known the beginning from the end and everything in between because he, he planned it, he, he ordained it. But, but the Bible frequently talks about God's memory. And, you know, I don't know what your perspective on God's memory about uh, your life is, but I think um, th- there's kind of been this one-dimensional view of how God remembers uh, our shortcomings and our flaws and our failures, what, what's commonly referred to as, as sin, uh, in the Bible, and I think there's this kind of prevalent, dominating idea that God forgives and forgets. Like it sounds really good, like God, you know, He forgives you and then He forgets it; it's gone. And 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 the question is, does God forgive and forget? And I would say the answer to that is yes and no. Uh, the principle of God forgiving us fully, wholly, entirely. And then forgetting it, in other words, not recalling it to, to memory, kind of like Fillmore for me, is, is true on the surface. But, but the Bible also frequently and regularly talks about God remembering who we are. And one of the ways that God talks about remembering us is that he remembers that we are of dust. That we are frail. That we are fragmented. That we are fragile people. And so the good news about Christianity, and maybe you're here today exploring the faith. Maybe you're new to Christianity, and so some of these concepts of sin and forgiveness in the Bible are are new categories for you. Um, I I just want to put this into your mind as we go before the Lord in our time of confession, um, is that God isn't just, like when we're confessing, which is what we're about to do, publicly acknowledge that we've sinned before a holy God, uh, that he doesn't, we're not bringing new information to him. We're not revealing something to him that he doesn't already know about us. Uh, and we're also not giving him information for him to just file away to use on a future date. What, what we're doing is we are going before a God um, whom we have no right standing on our own merit. And we're saying, God, here's the many and various ways that I've fallen short of what you've called me to be as a human being, as one of your creatures. And what the Bible says is that if you do that 
through the finished, complete, atoning work of Jesus, what you're doing is you're going to a priest, and his name is Jesus, and he is representing you before God the Father. And, and one, one analogy, and I'll just kind of close with this, I want you to, to put in your mind, it's kind of a modern analogy, but, but Jesus is in the heavens above, if you're united to him by faith. And he's representing you by his work. And one of the ways you can look at that is Jesus is up there hitting the refresh page of the internet analogy. He's hitting the refresh page that God would look at you and not treat you as your sins deserve, but that he would look at his son and all of the work that he did on your behalf, and he hits the refresh page over and over and over again as you go to him in confession. So let me pray for us now, just a public, general, corporate prayer of confession. Then I'm going to give you some space to individually and quietly acknowledge the many ways that you've fallen short of what God uh, desires you to be. Let's pray together. Father, I know there are, that are, there are many people uh, gathered here today uh, that, are, that are much like me. And we get to a time of confession of sin in our service, and, and maybe we just kind of start spinning the wheels thinking, oh, I haven't even thought about that. Like, I haven't thought about all of the um, standards that you've imprinted on our lives that we ought to be loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Like, as we as we even just give brief thought to how woefully short we have fallen of loving you and loving our neighbor, Lord, it could spiral us into a pit of despair. Lord, our, our short-sightedness with others, our judgment upon others, our divisiveness in this polarized world that we are living in, our self-righteousness that thinks that we know everything. Lord, our, our unkindness towards our children, our short tempers, like the list goes on and on and on. So Spirit of God, I pray now that as we just set a brief moment of this worship service aside to acknowledge this, that you would stir up not only the things that have caused us to fall short, but also this desire to be more like Jesus, that we would look at his life, his perfect life, who loved the Father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loved his neighbor as himself, and that you, Spirit of God, would work in our hearts in such a way that that might even produce fruit in our own lives. So Lord, work in us now as we silently and individually acknowledge the many ways in which we've fallen short. Well, if you've brought a Bible with you, uh, I'd invite you to now open that or uh, turn that on if you're using a device uh, to the book of Psalms. Uh, if you're new to our church, uh, we've been working through individually selected Psalms uh, this summer. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 136. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, uh, Psalms are a collection of 150 individually written um, songs, really, they were the original kind of hymn book, if you, if you will, of the ancient Near Eastern Israelites, the Jewish people. And uh, this morning's psalm does not have an ascription. It doesn't have an author. We don't know who, 
who wrote this one. Uh, but w- what we do know is that this would have been used in a, in a bit of a liturgical or church setting, uh, much like we're doing here today. And the, the repetition in this particular psalm would have been one that was a kind of a call and response type of psalm. And so um, I've asked Gabe to actually read alongside me. I know reading and speaking with the mass on is, is terribly difficult. So uh, I, I'm, we're going to read the psalm together. And, I, and it, we're going to do a little bit of harmonizing. I don't, I don't sing or anything like that. But we're going we're gonna to do our best to just read this psalm together to give you a feel for the flavor of how this particular psalm would have functioned in the life of the believer um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So uh, if you'll follow along with us, we're reading Psalm 136 uh, for God's word this morning. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights. For his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day. For his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. For his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites. For his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage. For his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant. For his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. For his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray together. Oh God in heaven that we would believe that your steadfast love endures forever. Help us now as we meditate on this psalm together and help us to fix our eyes on the incarnate one, the one whose steadfast love became a man and walked among us and lived the life we couldn't and died the death we should have and then declared his ultimate, final, and consummatory victory over death, Satan, and sin. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on that steadfast love today. We ask these things in his name. Amen. 
Well, uh, we don't just uh, drill presidents into our children's minds over the summer. Uh, we try to have some fun, and, uh, you know, s- fun this summer has been adapted for all of us. You know, vacation plans are all on hold for, for most of us, and we're all just kind of hanging out. And so a couple, couple Fridays ago on my day off, um, I decided uh, to take my, my boys. We've got three children, two boys and a, and a little girl. And sometimes you just got to gotta get the older boys away from the uh, up-and-coming three-nager that we have who's kind of running running the house right now. And so I, I decided to take the boys out uh, just for a day out of having fun. And we, we started out uh, at the golf course, uh, tr- trying to teach the boys how to swing the golf club a little bit. So we just went to the driving range, hit a bucket of balls, uh, did that. Uh, of course, had some, some food. Food was interspersed throughout the day. Good food all day. Had a breakfast burritos in the morning. And then we, then we moved on over to the, to the bike park. They got some new bikes. And so we went over to the, to the place over off of Alameda, um, which, by the way, one of our very own members of our church designed that bike park. Little small world claim to fame. Uh, but we went to the bike park and just had fun. We rode the bikes. And, and, and then we went and got the boys uh, Blake's, you know, burgers. Got to get some cheeseburgers in the day. And so we're just, we're just having a great day. And on our way home, kind of wrapping it up, the girls are ready for us to get home. We're riding home, and I'm, we're just kind of recalling the day and all the fun that we had together. And, and, and our middle boy, Micah, he, he just looks over at me. And, you know, you're a dad, and you've just spent, uh, you know, money all day and had this fun. You're just wondering, like, do these kids appreciate this? Like, do they, they have any fun? Do they have as much fun as I did? And, and Micah just looks over at me, and he says the sweetest thing he said. In a lot, he says a lot of sweet things. But he just looks over at me, and he just says, Dad, I never want this day to end. And I was just like, yeah, that's like the dad, like, oh, yes, it was all worth it. Um, but he just, he just says that, that, that one statement, and it, and it was just loaded um, with gratitude, right? And it was just loaded with love. Um, I'm convinced uh, that the God of the Bible, uh, the, the God of Christianity, is after that response in our lives, like, I'm convinced, like, it's really s- kind of simplistic thinking, but let's just be simplistic for the morning. I'm convinced that God has done all of this. The creation of the entire cosmos and the placement of this spinning terrestrial ball and placed his creatures on it so that at the end of it all, we would look at him and say, Dad, I don't want this day to ever end. Um, Psalm 136 has one large idea, and, and I'm sure you could guess it. You don't have to be a trained preacher um, to, 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 to get what, is af- what the psalm is after. It wants you to believe that God's love will endure in your life forever. That God's steadfast love, we'll unpack that in a moment, is the thing that is meant to captivate your heart. So the, the big kind of working idea for this sermon that I want to walk through this psalm with you this morning is I want you to learn what it looks like to have a heart that is captivated by God's love. And cultivating a heart like that takes some work, but the psalm invites us to do just that. 
So let, let's just kind of walk through the psalm a little bit. Uh, the question you should be asking yourself, just kind of functionally, logistically, is how do I cultivate a heart that would say something like, I don't want this day to ever end with you? How do I experience eternal love that would, that would stir something inside of me like that? And, and the answer to that is what the psalm does in its entirety, is that it, that it, it recalls and then recites God's what's called in, in the Hebrew, his hesed love for you. So hesed love, hesed is the Hebrew word there. And it, uh, you know, that's, we translate it steadfast love. Let me just, let's just put a little bit of color to that just so we kind of, we're on the same page there. What God's steadfast love is, is it is love that never quits. Uh, it is tenacious in nature. It is fiercely loyal. Um, it is uh, it is trustworthy. It is weighty. Uh, it it is it could be described as as a one way love, a love that comes down to us not based on anything good in us. So this word was a a word that was deeply tied to God's covenant people. That language we'll throw around once in a while. A covenant was 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 a promise that God made to His people. That he chose a people from the world to utterly lavish his love upon. And so in Psalm 136, what we see is is the psalmist, whom we don't know specifically, reciting and recalling all of God's wonderful and wondrous works that he has done on behalf of his people to display his love for them. And so if you look at verses 4 to 9, it largely highlights God's cre- God as creator. So that God is the cosmic artist of everything. That in the eternal mind of God, that he has laid out perfectly, accordingly, to his unique design, the way things ought to, to run. So it talks about the sun and the moon and the stars. Uh, but, but even more so than that, at the heart of God as creator is that he, he not only made a creation that screams how infinitely glorious he is, but he made creatures who uniquely bear his image on earth. Um, animals don't do that. Mountains don't do that. Oceans don't do that. Stars don't do that. Planets don't do that. Galaxies don't do that. You do that. So God has customly made image bearers to dwell on earth. But then you move down to verses 10 through 15, and, and the psalmist, you know, he shifts through a lot of history in the world, but, but in essence what he does is he, he takes us to, to Israel's bondage in Egypt. He talks about how they were delivered. Verse 10 to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. If you're new, again, to the, to the Old Testament narrative, this is God taking his chosen people out of bondage, which, if you recall the story, they put themselves in. Do you, do you remember how the, um, the, the, the relationship with Egypt began? It was when uh, the, the 12 sons sold uh, Joseph into slavery to get rid of him. 
So their defiance and their rebellion plunges God's people into Egypt. But God, in his extraordinary way, writes this story in a way that says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So God is not only shown as the creator, but then he's shown as their deliverer. God's chosen people are preserved in the midst of their enslavement. The psalm moves on in verses 16 down through 20 to show that God is now their defender. He takes them out of Egypt. He puts them into the wilderness where they are entirely exposed. Like they have no military organization. They are, they are a traveling uh, circus, right? And God takes them the long way to the promised land. But in the wilderness of 40 years, God teaches them, I will defend you. And not just in the wilderness, but in, in generation after generation, he talks about uh, putting down kings and kingdoms. That God perfectly defends and preserves his people, even in the midst of the worst case scenarios. When their army becomes too strong, what does God do? He says, downsize it so that I can defeat your enemies and then I'll get the credit for it. So the psalmist shows us that God is our creator that he's our deliverer, that he's our defender. And then in verses 21 and 22, he says that he's our provider. He says, I will take, I will will plunge the enemies that I destroy on your behalf and I will give you their riches. I will take the plunder from your destroyed enemies and I'll make it your heritage. Like, who writes a story like that? Um, This psalm is a template for the good news about Jesus. Every single psalm is about Jesus. All of them. And so Psalm 136 um, gives us this template for understanding what God has come to do in the person and work of his son, Jesus. In other words, I could put it this way. Jesus is... The Hesed love of God with flesh and blood. Like he has not left us to theological mysteries or intellectual speculation as to what Hesed love looks like. If you want to know what God's steadfast love looks like, you must look to Jesus. Um, I'll just quickly run through the template for you. The New Testament makes it very clear that Jesus is the creator. Colossians 1 lays that out. That all things were made by him and for him. That everything was made for Jesus by Jesus. And so here Jesus comes as the uber image bearer of God, the fullness of God in the flesh. And he comes uh, to organize his life the way that we were supposed to under God's kingship, perfectly loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then likewise loving our neighbor like that. He, he does that. He's the creator and fulfiller of us, but then he, he delivers us, so he, he becomes the deliverer by taking uh, the defiance and the rebellion of his people upon himself. What we see Jesus doing is delivering his people from an enslavement that they put themselves in. 
We don't sin just because it's our nature. We sin because we love it. And so the defiance that has, I mean, the streak of defiance that could really undermine all of our lives. Like if I, if I could just kind of one statement in, in, in putting what our defiance looks like, it is this. We want to live our life the way we want to live our life. Like how deeply American is that, right? Which is why the message of the gospel is so deeply offensive to many of us. So Jesus comes and he delivers us from our defiance. He defends us. Uh, the, the language of the psalm was with this outstretched arm. Well, the way Jesus came was he didn't stretch out his arm of violence on the world. He came and he stretched out his arms on the violence of the cross. So the way that Jesus saves, delivers, and defends his people is by laying his very own life down. He gives himself over to the rebellion of mankind. And then the beauty of Jesus being our provider is that he... he all of the riches that he deserved because he lived a life of perfect obedience. Like every, all of the praise and utter respect that Jesus should have got comes to anyone who would put their trust in him. In other words, he, he, he plunges himself into the abyss of judgment and he empties all of the things that should have come to defiant rebels like us. And in exchange, he takes that on himself, and then in exchange, he applies all of his work to our behalf. You get the resume of Jesus if you're believing in him. Now, I say all of that, um, kind of that gospel template that's shown to us in Psalm 136. And I want to I just highlight um, kind of how the psalm ends in verse 23. Is that he remembered us in our lowest state. Um, the two basic staple ingredients to living a heart that is full of gratitude. Like if you want to live your heart in a way that, that looks to God your Father and says, God, you have, you've done everything for me. And, and I don't want this day to ever end. Like this restored relationship that you have initiated and fulfilled, I don't, I don't ever want it to end. The two main staple ingredients that you need to have a heart like that are weakness and vulnerability. You must be honest with who you actually are. You must be willing to be exposed in the worst ways, even publicly exposed. And here's why. Because God puts pride and arrogance to death on the cross. That prideful living, the life that says, I'm just going to live life however I want to live my life. Like I'll splash a little bit of Jesus and Christianity on top of it just to kind of ensure that things are okay. Like that is so foreign to what the scriptures teach. The scriptures make it evidently clear that pride and arrogance will be crushed. I, I want to close because um, I want to speak. I think there's two types of people here today. Um, Jesus gave 
uh, a prayer of thanksgiving uh, in the New Testament. He gave several prayers, uh, but one of the prayers of thanksgiving that he gave is recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. You can read it later if you want. I'm just going to kind of synthesize it for us today. Uh, but the essence of Jesus' prayer was he was giving thanks to the Father. He said, Father, I, I give you thanks that it was your will to do this. And he says that you would hide, um, that you would that you would hide these things, revealed truth, to the wise, and that you would reveal them to children. What, what Jesus was giving thanks for, and what you ought to be giving thanks for today, is that God has chosen to reveal himself to people who would receive it like children. And how do children receive good things? Well, they receive it with grateful hearts. With hearts that are utterly filled with weakness and dependence. With hearts that look at their dad on the drive home from a day of utter provision and say, I don't ever want it to end. And Jesus gives thanks that God only reveals it to people who would have hearts to receive the news like children. So who are you? I, I think there are two people in this park today. There are people who are wise in their own eyes. And the, the river that is running through their heart is a river that is full of prideful arrogance. And I also think there's people who are beginning, maybe even for the first time, to feel their utter weakness, their helplessness, their powerlessness. And when you begin to feel that, you ought to feel great about your life. Because when you begin to feel that coursing through your veins, weakness, you can know that you are becoming like a child that you are learning the way of Jesus, and the way of Jesus is dependence on the Father's will, even to death, even to death on a cross. So consider it an invitation, Mosaic. It's an invitation for you to believe that God's love endures forever, and the way to receive his love is like a child, that we might look him in the eyes and say, Daddy, I never want this day to end. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Father, life can be so stinking complicated and difficult and confusing. And many of us are just, just crushing ourselves trying to figure it all out. The political arena, the financial arena, our jobs, all of the things that are swirling around us. But God, I pray that even just today that you would help us to grasp the simple good news of your son, Jesus, who became flesh and showed us what steadfast love looks like. And that you would help us, even if it's just a taste of it today, God, and maybe even some for the first time, that we would look you in your eyes and we would long for that love forever that we would never want it to end. Would you give us hearts like that? Would you reveal your son to us as we receive it like children? We pray these things in his name. Amen. 
This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 